Thanks for listening to another episode of the Giving Leader Podcast. I'm Phil Ling. I'm the host. I'm also the founder of thegivingchurch.com that brings you the podcast. My guest today is one of my oldest friends in ministry. I've known Rick literally when you start counting in decades, not years. Rick Russell was the lead pastor at Life Bridge Christian Church, Longmont, Colorado, for 25 years. A church that it's too lengthy to go into all the different changes they went through from relocation, name changes, very contemporary, multiple locations, 5,000 in attendance and growing and he's too young to retire but he's moved on to other things leading spire and some other things a very entrepreneurial guy one of the smartest guys i've ever got to hang out with and he is our guest for the next hour one of my friends i've known forever when you can measure in not years but decades <laughs> it's, it's not a good thing that's <laughs> not that means that means you're old. Uh, Rick Russo, I have known for a long, long time. He's one of my favorite people. Uh, hangs out in Colorado, 25 years at Lifebridge Church. I uh, used to say Longmont, but it's like you got three locations, so you're kind of the Longmont area. Yeah, yep, yep. Longmont, uh, Loveland, Fort Collins, Firestone, Boulder. Yeah. One of the prettiest parts of the country, 300 days of sunshine. God called him to a pretty place. Well, you know, Boulder, Boulder is uh, 20 square miles surrounded by reality. So we also got every kind of whack thing out here you could possibly want. Yeah, we've done a lot of work in that area as well. Yeah, I know. It's it's Berkeley with uh, with Uggs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Berkeley with great views. So. <laughs> exactly. But, but the reason I wanted to bring Rick on and talk, uh, I had been blessed to work with literally, I counted up the other day, about 900 pastors and from all different shapes and sizes and walks of life. And a lot of them are very entrepreneurial. And Rick is in spades. Rick is an entrepreneur. He is. And that shows up in everything that he's done from church work to business, all those kind of things. And he's a fascinating guy. And he's going through a transition because you're transitioning there at Lifebridge. And I think that it's just uh, you're not an old guy, even though we've known each other for a long time. Uh, and I want to just go down many, many different avenues and get your perspective one, because you've always had a fresh perspective. You've always seen stuff kind of out of the box. And your book, I have quoted the title of your first book many, many times, because mm -hmm. I think it's externally focused. Mm -hmm. It is, is fascinating, especially today, because I'm telling everybody that for the last 12 months in North America, we as a church have been told we're not essential. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, that we're not essential. You know, grocery store, yeah, you're essential, uh, but, but we're not. And I think part of that our is pot, our pots, our pot stores were essential in Colorado. So churches <laughs> weren't, but our pot stores were. So exactly, exactly. And they would argue, you know, mental health, you know, it, it, you're, you're, exactly. you're helping people. But I think part of it's because it's our fault. We haven't been externally focused mm -hmm. and, and we have been the professional churchgoers and all that kind of stuff. So take me back. First of all, before we get into the book, uh, when you went, it wasn't life bridge because unlike, a lot of guys that we talked to, they're church planters. You did a harder route. You took an existing traditional church and changed it. So yeah. when you got out yeah. there, what did you find? What was there? So uh, First Christian Church, uh, six weeks after we arrived, we're celebrating their 100th anniversary. And it was a great church. They were meeting downtown. Uh, they'd planted a number of churches around the Front Range of Colorado uh, over the years. Uh, church of several hundred. Um they had uh, planted a church close with a good friend of both of ours, Alan Algram, had done that church plant. And 
that church was taken off and they were declining um, as a result. And yeah, and so just came in and, uh, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. I was 31 and uh, ended up being there uh, 28 years. So God was gracious. Uh, yeah, you know, the thing I was probably most pleased about was uh, the weekend I stood up and said, hey, um, we're going to uh, move on. We're going to retire. Uh, I guess that was the word. Uh, no one stood up and applauded that day. So that was a good thing So uh, uh, that I was leaving. But, you know, we really my, my whole goal. I didn't grow up in the church. I'm from New York upstate and uh, didn't have a church background. So I, I saw our church growing. We were started reaching a lot of people. But were we making any difference in our city? And so that started us in the it was probably 93, 94. So long before missional was cool and we knew what to do. Um, we just started serving in our city, trying to find ways, especially in an area that is so hostile to the church. We have what we call ABC people out here, anything but church. Um, and so, um, yeah, God's been gracious and a lot of cool things have come out of that. And, um, I, I think, I think it's even more coming out of, um, COVID. I think every church really, I think now we're in a new, we're in a new place, you know, for the first time in, uh, us history, um, less people say they attend church, uh, than ever in our history. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And there's multiple math ways to look at that, but the truth is we're, we, we got to look at things a bit differently. So I want to hit a few elementary pieces and then get into some more stuff. But when you transition, so you come out, you got a hundred year old church, you got like, okay, we're, we're changing direction, which is much tougher even than just church planting, which is my background. Uh, you change names, locations, all that stuff. Was that seamless or were there headaches? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, you know, I think change, you know, I think every pastor's real job is change management. Hmm. You know, when you boil it down, we're talking about trying to change people's lives, talking about trying to change trajectories, trying to help change thinking in, in the, in ministry wise, we're trying to change what we used to do and move it, even if it's nuanced change. So change management's a big part of our job. Right. And so one of the things that I did, um, uh, you know, I look back at, I think the single biggest thing I was grateful I did, I started meeting with at that time, what I would have called the older folks in our church, everybody over 60 who wanted to meet, we'd meet once a month. I did it for 22 years. Wow. Uh, and uh, called it the gray hair group, you know, kept changing over time. But I would bring that group in and say, hey, here's what I'm thinking about. And, and I need your opinion. We're not voting in here. Every opinion counts. And we're still going to end up doing what I think we should do. But I want to hear what you have to say. And that group became the advocate for change. So when we changed location, they were leading the charge. When we changed worship style, they led the charge. When we were changing the name, you know, sacrosanct thing, right? right. They helped lead the charge. And so, you know, I have a uh, you know, I just try not to lead with my face. You know, I think my only leadership gift is self-protection. So what, what's going to cause me the least amount of pain at a personal level? That, that's okay. First of all, I known you a long time, did not know you did that. That's fascinating. And for 22 years. Yeah, it was great. Once a month, we'd meet uh, Thursday mornings uh, from eight to 10, uh, you know, coffee and donuts. And I would talk, I'd bring staff in to talk. I'd listen to what that I'd say, here's what we're thinking about. Here's what we're considering. Uh, tell me what you think. And, um, okay, they, so cause that, you know, nobody wants to be marginalized. Right. And you take those people who help get you where you are, aren't the people who are going to help you get where you're going, but boy, they can sure stop you going from where you're going. No, that's, I think it's brilliant. That's insightful. I, you know, a lot of folks that are going to be listening are at different 
stages along their career paths. And a lot of them are younger guys and gals. Uh, so that, that's just fascinating. So you, you're, tra- you're change agent, you're transitioning. When you were starting at LifeBridge, what wasn't even LifeBridge yet, Right. Uh, one of the things you just threw in there is like changing worship styles, which back then we thought was such a big, hairy deal. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> uh, so as you look going forward now, what's the church? What are the what are the big rocks in the garden you see coming up? Yeah. So, you know, we were already pre-COVID. We were already dealing with um, um, more people. Made, it took more people for um, to to be a part of your church for your attendance to grow, right? Because people were coming less. We knew the numbers were shifting from three times a month, to two times a month to, you know, a little over one time a month in Colorado. We had, the last time we measured uh, pre-COVID, we were at 1.1 time a month that people were coming. And now we've just spent, what, a year teaching people how they don't have to actually show up on the weekend. Now they're gonna want community and they're gonna want, but if as leaders we're saying, man, we can't wait till we get back to pre-COVID, we are, we are looking in the wrong direction because all COVID did was accelerate a trend that was already happening. So I've been asking, you know, leaders, both business leaders and pastors, you know, these four questions, what, what have you lost that needs to stay lost? Mm. Like there's some stuff you were doing, you quit doing, maybe you just need to not bring it, ever bring it back. What, what have you lost that needs to stay lost? Right. What have you found that needs to stay found? For example, all of us found some kind of online presence. And so what are we going to do around that? How are we going to keep that? Um, because that's that's a, a new place for us, right? So what do we got to do to enhance that, increase that? And I don't think it can just be, oh, we're going to stream, um, you know, because I, I can't sit and watch the worship. You know, I don't sit at home and sing. I can't sing. And my wife doesn't want to hear that. So um, and then and then the third question is, what are we welcoming back? So what is it that we really want to put, uh, you know, double down on that mattered? And then the fourth is, how are you pivoting? Because everybody's a startup today. Right. It doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter how entrenched you were, we're, we're, all a, we're all a startup, and especially in the church world. And so I think the new measurement going forward isn't going to be our attendance. Uh, it's going to be our engagement. And that engagement is going to be multiple levels. It's going to be physical. It's going to be digital. Um, and, and everybody's going to have an expression of both. Some are going to lean stronger one direction or the other, but if we're not providing an engagement pathway, I think we're going to be in trouble. Okay. First of all, that's fantastic. It's why I love you. It's why I wanted you to come on. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's great stuff. I, I, a couple of things. One is pre COVID. I was using the number that I read a long time ago that it was like 1.8 times. Somebody right. said to go to church all the time is 1.8 times and that's pre COVID. So, you know, post COVID right. throw it out. Uh, the whole online stuff now is, yeah, if we spent a year saying, don't feel guilty. Um, this is great. So, okay, cool. I, I like this. But I also can flip on and watch Furtick. Yep. <laughs> you know, so now my, what I can do on the whole online thing is completely different. So in those four questions, what do you see is like the one that we're, we got rid of? Is there, is there anything that you hear from other folks? It's like, okay, we don't want to bring that back. Yeah, I think I think, um, you know, if we talk about um, programming, right, you know, the the average church was driving people oftentimes through their programming. So, you know, we had something every night of the week on the weekend, we would just really push hard for stuff. And I think we have figured out we can still keep people connected. 
we may not have to have everything we were doing. Um, you know, if you think about it this way, you know, for a long time in the history of the world, business was a pipeline. We, uh, you produced a product, you shoved it down the pipeline, and you grew your business by bigger pipelines or multiple pipelines. And then 45 years ago now, um, we went to portfolio companies. They were the most influential business. And portfolio companies didn't make their own products, but they distributed other people's products. So Walmart, for example, one of the first ones into that. You can get grapes or gerbils at, uh, at Walmart, right? And now the most influential uh, businesses are platform. Um, and platform companies do two things. They allow something to happen that wants to happen. They're not creating something. They're allowing something to happen. And the second is they turn consumers into contributors. And when I first heard that, I put my pastor's hat on. I was sitting with a bunch of CEOs when I heard that. Put my pastor's hat on and said, what would that look like? Because for a long time, think about it, church was a pipeline. And for many of us, even pre-COVID, we were still a pipeline. Hey, we have a service at this time. We do this. We have this small group. We have this thing. Come and consume it. And then the birth of the megachurch happened at the same time as the portfolio company's birth. Um, so we now offered side doors. You know, you and I did that. We, that's how we led, right? Um, I remember a lot of things you were doing that were crazier than the rest of us to, to get people to connect in. Um, and I still love your Bernie story, by the way. Uh, <laughs> you, tell it more than, you tell it more than I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> and uh, um, But what would happen if we were allowing something to happen that wants to happen? Because still what wants to happen is people want something bigger than themselves. They still want that. They don't know what that is. They're not looking to the church for that anymore, but they still want something bigger than themselves. They want to they engage. They want to help out a cause. They want to have their heart matter. They want to know what happens. Is there a bigger spiritual thing going on? And then what would happen in the church if we could turn consumers into contributors? So, you know, we started making a push seven years ago toward more neighboring stuff. You know, what if you were the best neighbor your neighbor ever had? What if, what if, uh, you know, when we asked the question in the first book about if you disappeared, if your church disappeared, would anybody care? My question got personal for me was if I, if I left my neighborhood, would anybody care you know, Am I making any difference? And so, you know, I think that, so we, I think if, I think one of the things that stays lost is the uh, programming ourselves to death. You know, what is it we really care about and how are we moving people along an engagement pathway? Because that's what they really care about. Because ultimately we don't grow through consumption. We go through, we grow through contribution. And so how are we turning consumers into contributors? That's a, that's a thing I think we should focus on. And I think what we found was that, you know what, people will still stay engaged with us. Even though now they've got a, a zillion options, they still want that relational connection and they want a place where they feel like they belong. You know, everyone needs, it wants to be needed and known. Right. Those are two core things for all of us. So how are we doing that in the church space? Well, there, so COVID has, has exposed weaknesses. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you were a bar or restaurant and were struggling, you probably died. Yep. If you're Chick-fil-A and you figured out, hey, curbside and drive through, let's double down. They probably had great years. Uh, there's a church we're working with on the East Coast that in their denomination, they've already identified 26 churches in one district that will not reopen. Yep. That, yep. And I, I assume that all 26 are probably already weak. You know, they were already struggling. So I, I think we're going to see that. Do you see, I guess I got a couple of different directions on that. One, is that a, a natural growth cycle that 
in, in many ways, it could be stronger if we start 26 that are healthier to begin with versus trying to resurrect the 26. Yeah, I think, you know, maybe maybe it, let me think about it a little bit in a different illustration, see if this 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 connects. And I probably am going to answer it that terribly, Phil. But, you know, in a booming phase where we're already now in a construction phase, look around. There are a, there's a new Ford pickup truck everywhere I look and it's got a sticker on the side of it, you know, Bob's plumbing, a one mechanical, whatever it is. Right. And, and then we're going to see another cycle turn, you know, especially when uh, the government uh, ends this forbearance, uh, we're going to see prices come back down a little bit and all those trucks are going to go away. Right. And the problem is they, they, they were, they were eating off the fat. They, they weren't eating, they weren't really creating a sustainable forward. So, so we've seen a lot of churches that, that were really on the edge, right, of, of uh, whatever that meant. Um, and, and so how is it we're really, I think even for large churches, large churches are scrambling right now because a big chunk of their attendance disappeared. Well, here's what they found, though. Giving didn't necessarily disappear. Right. And the core people kind of still showed up. So, so you know, maybe we were doing a lot out here to connect people in. And so I think that that we're going to see a lot of churches close and that's unfortunate. And I think there's a downward pressure on the church today. I think we're seeing it in every sector. You know, uh, I think, I think from a government perspective, we're going to see a lot more push uh, down on, on churches, particularly evangelical churches. Um, we're going to see a lot more regulatory around uh, facilities. And um, so I think we're going to have to be more nimble and I actually think it's going to be better for us. Um, because I think we're going to look for better ways to connect people to the gospel. You see any trends yet or coming as far as uh, um, I look at staffing at churches is kind of like you've got an NFL team. You only have so much salary cap and yeah. it's like, OK, where am I going to put my stuff and coming out of COVID? Am I going not as heavy on running back, but maybe tight ends are more valuable? You know, are, do you see a shift? Yeah, I, I think, you know, think about it, all the all the uh, IT types in our church, you know, they, they were the people that you hired, and stuck them in a closet somewhere. And now they're the most influential people on the staff uh, at this point. I think I think communication is going to be another key. I think creating uh, um, uh, spiritual mentoring, whatever that looks like, I think that's going to be more important. I think some of the more what I would call program elements, you know, yeah, I mean, the average church pre-COVID uh, was spending 70% on its uh, uh, weekend services um, of its time and energy and right. resources. I think we're going to see that shift. Um, and, uh, you know, my fear is for the churches that, that those of us, and I, I would be inclined to want to do this because it's, it's how we grew, but to double back down on the weekend, I think is probably not the best strategy because now people are looking at, a broader engagement, kind of a 24 seven. How are we doing that? So, okay. So one of the areas that you were um, a pioneer in conversation early, early on was facility usage. Like, okay, how do we build churches? What do they look like? You know, you're envisioning of uh, mixed use, you know, mm -hmm. you, you put a, put a church where it's part of a, a setting with other businesses and, and stuff than not just out by itself. Uh, you st do you see a place for that going forward? Is it going to be a lot more of that mixed use? Because I've got clients that have very mixed use facilities now. They're they're not just a, a standalone church building that get, people go to once a week. 
Yeah, I think that's I think that's going to be more and more the trend um, where where you uh, share space, where you have multiple usage out of it. And I actually think that's healthy. I think that puts us in the center uh, of the city instead of on the outside of the city. If you go back to the, you know, you go to you go to Europe and uh, you look at the church was in the middle of the town square. It's kind of the heart of the square. Right. And things revolved around it. And and uh, well, that's not the perfect model or illustration. You really if the church can become a functioning space that is a place where people are connecting and gathering and working and playing, then now you're part of the whole community. You're not part. You're not a, a separate from we kind of moved out to the suburbs. Right. And said, hey, we'll build big buildings and big parking lots. Come and see us. Um, but, you know, uh, uh, the mall business disappeared. Right. We went to smaller open space that had food and entertainment and, and other things. Well, there's a reason that happened. Yeah, it, yeah it's going to be very, very fascinating. Because especially like if you live where you do, where it's a very expensive part of the country. So churches that pop up, you know, just grabbing a few acres and throwing up a building is a lot tougher than it used to be. And how do you fight with the city over taxing? And, uh, you know, are you stealing revenue from them and all that kind of stuff? And so the mixed use is going to be interesting. I, I've done this long enough to see it's interesting early on where the cities and everybody would fight like crazy and not want the church to be part of a shopping area. Right to where they realized oh wait a minute they actually they are some good ones and they pay their bills and they don't look crappy so and they now, bring people yeah they, and they and they bring they bring you know i, I think plus we're going to see a ton of i'm glad i'm not in any commercial real estate right now uh, we're going to see a whole lot of that available here so yeah exactly yeah yeah all those rich people you know rick come on you know <laughs> that, that own those it's it's like telling everybody is so happy with that the others couldn't be paid to make pay their rent i'm like yeah well eventually the dude that owns that building or that shopping center is going to be upside down. It's a, it's, it's been an interesting season for all and, of that. And it is going to continue to be. Okay. So tell me when you wrote externally focused, because you have expanded on that since then, but what were you thinking? I know you be the best neighbor, which makes a lot of sense, but give me some, some examples. Yeah, I think it really, for me, it was the, the tagline we use was if your church disappeared, would anybody care? You know, right. so so beyond the people who are showing up at your Christmas thing, your Easter, your weekend stuff. And so we just started getting engaged and out of that launched a couple of cool things. So America's Kids Belong is now a national organization that's addressing uh, through government business and the faith community, uh, foster care adoption. So we started by helping in our own county. Then it led to us helping in the state. There were 1,200 kids eligible for adoption. And we just started telling those kids stories to churches and we were helped able to get that number down to under 200 kids who, who uh, needed adoption. And wow. so, you know, I love the fact that this, we had 20 states call and ask us, could we come help them with that same problem? Now, they didn't care about the faith side. They didn't care about, they cared about the pragmatic and the economic impact. Um, we started a program in Weld County where they paid our church to hire two people who would get engaged and they would give us um, if a, if a family lend, ends up in family services or child protective, it is so hard to get them out of the system and it cost them a lot of money. And so they would tell us, they would give us a list of families who were on the edge of the head at that direction. 
And we would intervene with those families and, and, and point them to the services available, tutoring for their kids, parenting skills, stuff that churches were offering or local nonprofits were offering. And we uh, won a governor's award, I think six years in a row. The first year we did it, we saved the county four and a half million dollars of people going in the system. And so I was just looking for real ways for the church to show up. We provided 90% of the mentors in the public school system. And that's in a it, that's in an area of the country where back to the beginning, we had, we had ABC people, anything but church. Sure. And so I was just saying the church had backed out of the water. We, we created our own lookalike stream. You know, we had our own clubs and our own business organizations and our own music and our own books. And what? And so my line really was, what if we just get back in the stream going by the front door? And yep, it's muddy and murky and doesn't always go like we want it to go. But that's where the people are. And, uh, and so as a, uh, you're really from a very pragmatic side, it was how do we engage in the real stuff going on around us? Uh, this lends itself in the same vein, but, and I've never asked you this, um, as you see the next generation of leaders coming through the church, optimistic, concerned, because everywhere I look, part of it seems like it's a trickle from when you and I a hundred years ago started. Yeah. The, I think, uh, the, the, I'm optimistic about the people coming in. I okay. mean, you know, bright, hungry, uh, humble, all those things, and really care about seeing the church uh, make this next turn. Um, my my concern is that uh, the pastor health side is tough. Less people coming in ministry, less people staying in ministry. They drop out in that first five years. A um, lot of downward pressure um, on pastors. And now we just went through COVID, you know, uh, really made job even more difficult. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of move toward pastor health and what are we doing about that? And I think it's different than, hey, I just need, you know, more time off and, you know, I don't want to do all the, it's, it's really about how, how do we help create opportunities and tools uh, for pastors? I think then, you know, we're in one of those, every time there's been a climate change on the history of the planet, every organism in the climate either adapts or dies and we just went through a climate change and so and in whenever there's extended ambiguity and sustained stress that's a that's a that's a bad that's a that's, that's bad on the health of a leader right and we've been in extended ambiguity we're still not sure what's coming and the sustained stress of driving um you know when we know the world's changing and so um you know i think leaders really we need to be sensitive to leaders uh, at this point. About your own personal experience at LifeBridge and even like if you were starting over to do it, uh, raising up your own leaders. Yeah, you know, we, and we did a lot of that from, uh, you know, people in the community who uh, came out of the church and ended up uh, being on staff. And I, I think that's uh, really critical. And I, I think it's always a combo of inside and outside. Um, you know, there's there's some people from the outside who need to come in because they're not culturally um, they, they're not culturally skewed toward you. They're not already biased toward the way you do life. And so it's helpful to have some outside uh, come in and bring some expertise to that. But you also want to raise up your own, right? And um, grow your own leaders. And I think that really matters. And I think there's a um, there's a real opportunity. I think we're going to see a lot more people who are either bivocational or they're like, the, we have a person who leads our single mom stuff uh, here and gave up their job at Lockheed Martin, self-sustaining, does their thing. 
but runs this whole ministry. So, you know, uh, that's what I, I think we're going to see a lot more combination of those kinds of things. Now, I, I agree completely. Matter of fact, one of our recent guests, uh, Bill Woolsey, that folks can go back and listen to uh, comes out of the Lutheran background. That's his whole movement thing right now is mm -hmm. finding those folks, empowering those people, uh, kind of the entrepreneurial piece and it, not the traditional. You know, I heard a cool thing the other day. I heard that most of us operate out of our own uh, self-interest. So if you think about Uber, right, you know, what did Uber do? Create a platform. They facilitated people needing to ride with someone who, who uh, was willing to drive them. But it came out of self-interest, right? There's not a single Uber driver I meet it's just driving around, hoping they're going to find some sucker standing on a corner and ask if they want to ride, right? They want extra income. They want job independence. They want whatever they want, right? They, they're operating from that. And nobody is standing on the corner hoping some car is just eventually going to stop right. and take them to, you know, I'm, I'm, I get an Uber because I'm going from point A to point B and I want to get there as fast and efficiently and pay and make it simple, right? right. And so if I think about that in the life of the church, how am I creating opportunities for people to operate around their own self-interest? Um, how am I helping them do that? Talk to me. We hit on this a little earlier. I know that Lifebridge, you guys went to, to three different locations. Talk to me about uh, what you see in the next few years of the whole idea of campuses, satellites, because that's in the last 10 years, that's been an amazing thing to watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think no, we appreciate it. It's you've helped so much. I think we're going to uh, see um, uh, still the multiple uh, venue thing. Um, I think we're going to see less go build a venue and build the mini me thing uh, from campus. I think we're going to see a lot more expression of what I would call kind of kiosk ministry. All right. So we're going to create an opportunity uh, for ministry. And I think we're going to decentralize a bit. You know, what we did when we did multi-site was, was create more of a central structure, um, centralized. And I think there's going to be a little bit of decentralization. I, I don't know exactly how that's going to look, but I think we're going to see um, ministry get closer to the people, which is why campuses were, why the multi-site was such a great move. But I think we're going to see that go to the next version. So a little more, um, you know, I don't know about the whole microsite thing, but I think we are going to see it smaller and maybe more neighborhood centric. That's, I was going to ask you, uh, I had Don Wilson on a few weeks ago yep. and cause you know, he was an early embracer of, of multi-sites at CCV and, and all that kind of stuff. And one of the things I said, what do you think, what do you see? And he said, smaller mm -hmm. where it's flexible, you know, you can like, you got a 500 seat room and you can flip it and do many different things with it. And so I, I do think that's going to be fascinating. Just and I know there's there are examples of good and bad and, and pro and con both ways. I've got clients that have multi sites where individual live teaching. I've got the mm -hmm. want to do video venues, all that stuff. What'd you guys do and why'd you make the selection? So we started video and then went live. Um, we went went with the live teaching because um, again we were we in in that whole site we had started uh, the move and if you follow the missional journey. Like how's the church making a difference? It always comes back down to individuals. So it moved us to neighboring. So we really did end up with what if we got better at the two things Jesus said mattered most, love God and love your neighbor. What if you actually loved your real neighbor? What if we did four things? We said, hey, we want you to stay connected. So stay in your neighborhood, learn your neighbor's names, like start there. Uh, pray for your neighbors, uh, not necessarily for them to become Christians. You hope that happens, but pray because you're a Christian uh, for your neighbor. And, and, you, and I got to the spot where, okay, 
praying for the guy in the yellow house with the blue truck, you know, wasn't enough. So we just started learning our neighbors. Um, and then it was play. So, you know, some of our best friends now are our neighbors, uh, ended up coming to Christ. They, they were hanging out during COVID. We'd sit on one side of the fence and have a glass of wine. They'd sit on the other side of the fence. Right. So, uh, it was, it was cool. And, and then say, cause eventually you're going to get asked, you know, you know, everybody wants to tell their story and you're going to get a chance to tell yours. And so we just started working towards that. So to your point, I think we were looking for less of uh, production and more personal. Okay. All right. That's, and I'm not saying that was the right model. That was just the one we worked. So. Is it harder? Okay. But just in a pragmatic way, does that make it harder, easier, or the same as far as finding those key personnel? Yeah, I think harder. You know, because communication is the key to that. And, you know, some some leaders are great leaders, but but not all leaders are great communicators. And so that was a challenge. So 25 years, 28 years, whatever, one spot. Yeah. Lots of growth and change and all that stuff. That means you had to make tough personnel decisions. Yeah. Yeah, the hardest job I think I ever had was recognizing that the people who helped you get where you are aren't the people who can help you get where you're going. And so you find another spot or you move them along. But at the end of the day, um, as a leader, that's my job. My, my job is to help you be in the best position you can to flourish. And if you're in a position where you're not flourishing, I am not doing my job. Um, and if, and if as a steward of the organization, if the organization isn't flourishing, it's my job to, to lean on the spots to make that happen. And so, yeah, those are always the toughest. The, the worst part is those were friends. Those, you know, all those people become friends and, um, you know, and, and, uh, but hindsight, I've had some tough stories, you know, still some, there's some people I don't get Christmas cards from. Um, and, and I just had lunch, uh, with a former staff member who was one of those guys that key early on for us. I mean, the key, probably my key staff person. And when there were six of us, you know, and helped us grow, drove us forward, uh, moved them along, eventually moved them out. And, um, uh, they're now back in the area here. We had lunch and he said it was the best thing that could have happened to, it was the worst moment I had in my life, but it was the best thing that happened, uh, over time. And I think that's true. If you're not flourishing, you know it, and everyone around you knows it. That, that's because I think that's one that guys and gals are not told on the front end. It's going to be one of your big deals. You know, you're going to have to hire the right people and fire the right people, right? and yeah. and nobody preps you for that. You know, it's the it's yeah. I mean, it's a trite line. You know, the hire slow, fire fast, but. I, I, the fire fast thing matters, you know, cause once you're there, it's, 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 you know, you to drag it on makes it worse for everybody, but you know, staffing's a crapshoot all the way around. It doesn't matter how many tests, doesn't matter how many people you send them to, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you interview them, you know, until you're working together and in the environment, you don't know. That's why we actually would bring on a lot of inter interns and we hired out of the intern pool. Right. Right. No, I, I agree. I, I always said there were two emotions after making a tough call. There were always two emotions that I was flooded with. Always, always one. It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And two, I wish I had done it quicker. Always. 
I don't have a single time I wished I would have waited longer. <laughs> I, I think nobody, nobody that's not done it a lot believes that when they hear you say it. Yeah, because like, because you care. Here's what happens. Here's what I would tell all my business friends. You know, I mean, the, I knew a number of the CEOs and the big companies around here said, hey, you you do a staff reduction. You make that decision. You go tell your team. Uh, and, you know, yep, it's painful for a day or two inside the org, but you go out. You uh, you're a smaller org and you fire your, you know, VP for whatever. Yep. Um, and here's what they do when they get fired. They they call their small group leader. They go to their pastor and they say, I just lost my job. Can you pray for my family? And they go to their small group on Tuesday night and they come to church on Sunday. And you let a staff member go and you've disrupted their entire life. And it is never as easy in the church. And then they tell 12 of their friends and I can't tell them, you know, they say, oh, man, Russo was terrible. He let us go. He never even gave us a chance. And I can't say, well, you know, the dude had been taking money from us or he didn't do his job and show up for it. Because I got that non-disclosure side. And he's out there telling everybody what an upside down jerk I am. And I'm not I can't say, you know, I can't tell you why we let him go. But, you know, it's that you take a small group off. You take you fire one person, you lose 20 families. Exactly. That's why it's hard in the church. Exactly. And, and my non-church leader friends, my business friends, they do not get that. Yeah, yeah, it, it, that is a completely different world. Okay, so so while I'm on the, uh, I'm the old guy yelling, get off my lawn, you know, <laughs> that, that stuff is going on. Tell me if you're talking to a young guy or gals that are early in their ministry path and you're saying, hey, let me give you two cents on what I think about social media and your use of social media. What would you say? Well, social media is a needed and necessary tool uh, to get the word out. Um, uh, but think twice before you post. And maybe hire somebody to help you do your social media. As I've watched a lot of guys blow themselves up, a lot of men and women blow themselves up uh, and lose some credibility because of something they posted, reposted, shared, whatever. Um, you got to remember your public. Um, and, um, and so, you know, my, I grew up in New York. My only spiritual gift is sarcasm, and it gets me in trouble all the time, and especially online, because it doesn't always play as well online. Okay, so uh, with that, and the, the idea now of uh, everything I do, like I'm a, I'm a mini Kardashian, everything I do has to be seen by everybody. Um, yeah, I thought. <laughs> yeah. Well, now I'm going to be the old guy yelling, get off my grass, because I don't think we're nearly as important as we think we are. So um, I care less what you had for dinner last night. <laughs> That's why I love you, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, I don't care what you ate. But I do think it's, that is a, and maybe I'm just the old guy, but I do think that is a fear that I have for some younger folks that that's going to come back and bite you this whole idea that everything's got to be out there in the open of what you're doing every day and where you are which is why i think though the wisdom is as a public person you know no matter how large or small uh, our ministries might be um you need someone helping you with that you know i mean i mean just look at our last election um and uh you know they're they're just the 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 way social media gets handled is would have been better to have somebody handling that for you who can be less emotive than you. Um, it doesn't mean you aren't posting personal things and genuine things, but yeah, I, I just recently uh, saw a young leader posting, you know, what they were doing during COVID, who they were hanging out with. And 
you know, where they were skiing and all that. And, and then took tons of heat in our town because of that. And it was all normal stuff online, but they weren't recognizing they were being viewed in a different way than your neighbors being viewed. Okay. So before I run out of time, first of all, you've been very gracious. Um, I think a lot of the folks that are listening and, and a lot of folks that listen on the podcast, uh, we've been talking about younger generation, but there's also that transition generation. You went through it uh, and made a tough decision about, okay, this season of ministry life bridge, I'm going to, I'm going to change. Why, why'd you do it now? Cause I, you're, you're not a retirement kind of guy. Why is it, why'd you do it? What, what led you down that path? Yeah, really two things. I went to our elders, um, uh, five years before we ended up uh, pulling trigger. And I just said, Hey, I don't want to be the guy that stays too long. You know, things are going well now. I've watched some of my friends stay longer than it. And what do we do as a lot as leaders, we hire people to take over the stuff we don't like doing. We give that up. We keep the stuff we do like doing, and maybe we're not nearly as effective or engaged. So, and I really feel like we're at a time of transition. I, I think the church is in a, a major transition time. You know, when, um, you know, uh, when I you go to any town and there's still buildings with blue awnings on them and people say, well, that used to be blockbuster, you know, so you go from eight, eight to 10,000 stores and and they missed the curve. Right. They didn't they didn't make the turn and they had a chance to make the turn and they didn't. And so I wanted to be sure that I was leaving it in the hands of someone who was going to make the turn and that I didn't just uh, go. So. Um, and so, yeah, I, my goal was to be done before I was 60. I didn't quite make it. I was uh, 61, but, um, and it's been a year and a half now. And yeah, you know, I'm grateful for uh, where we are. I feel bad. Um, had no idea I was going to time this retirement perfectly um, and get out before COVID. So, uh, but. Um, nobody's going nobody's to break your numbers for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I talk to Matt all the time, who's a gifted young leader, and I love him a lot, uh, is like, dude, you've had, this has been a hard year, you know? Yeah, it, it is, it's completely, you know, I've, 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 I've coached uh, guys and gals through the 08 bubble, yep. 9-11, you know, all these things, but I said, never until we ran into this, do you say, hey, we're going to get the biggest deal to ever hit the church, and you cannot be in the same room together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you talk back to the pastor house, so after 911 and after the Oklahoma City bombing, the pastors in those cities, three years later, a third of the pastors were no longer pastoring three years later. And that's my fear for where we're at right now. When you were talking about leaders and young leaders. And so I'm still engaged. I, I help lead a group called Spire. I work for Glue on their exec team. We're trying to build, you know, connect the uh, the global Christian ecosystem with big tech and big data. I mean, I love doing stuff. I'm never going to really retire, but I'm glad that that um, I just didn't want to stay too long. Yeah, that really was driving me. So there's tons of it I miss. A lot I miss. Um, yeah, yeah, I I get you. I I was doing some stuff for Billy Graham right after Katrina. Yep, yep. And they I made a trip down for them to New Orleans, and I was shocked. It was like half of the pastors in New Orleans were gone a year later. Mm -hmm. Yep. Across denominational lines. I mean, it was, and we're, I think we're going to see that same thing happen in this next um, year. So. All right. So where can they get your books? Uh, so, you know, obviously Amazon, we just had a new one come out, Externally Focused Quest. That was a bit of a recap of several books. Um, and that just was released uh, in December. And uh, so it's available online and really kind of captures all, all of where that was headed. So cool. HarperCollins has the neighboring church one. So. 
Yeah, good stuff. Thanks for the plug on that, though. Uh, not a problem. You are a good dude. I really appreciate it. Next time I uh, get in that zip code, I'll buy lunch. Please. <laughs> great I, to I, see uh, you. Thank you, Rick. Always great to hang out with you. You've been listening to the Giving Leader Podcast with Phil Ling. Share it with friends. We, get, we have been blessed to have over 20,000 uh, leaders listen, download our podcast. And you can go to thegivingchurch.com to find out more about what we do. 